Hi, and welcome to the podcast today. I know we have been a bit more infrequent lately, but I'm guessing there is no one or very few people who listen to every minute of every episode. In fact, there has been times before where I'm like, you know, talking to Bethany or Alex or whoever it might be, we don't have to do this every day. You've probably heard me say before, like, it's hard for it's hard for you to give us more than 30 minutes a day. I mean, some of the podcasts that I really enjoy the heck out of, um, if it's three times a week and it's 45 minutes and I probably have more free time to listen to things than you do, uh, it can be a big ask. So I appreciate you being here. Um, another one of these times where I somebody asked me to talk to somebody and I didn't quite know what I was getting into. I did a little homework about the play, Significant Other, and then I got really excited yesterday after the research. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Joe Capucini, Significant Other. We talked to Dom Glover a couple of weeks ago. Um, his stuff opens up on the 11th. It's just one night only, a cab ratio, the modern dance company at Handmade. And then um, uh, Friends at the Rep. That's where Significant Other will be February, beginning February, uh, February 17th. We are blowing through 2023 so far. Mine's been pretty good. Before we talk to Joe, a couple of quick things. One, it's not totally implausible that Chris Pratt is here the first weekend of March. I'm going to say that again. And I know there are times I say things and you could spit them back at me, but this is not one of those times. It's not implausible to think Chris Pratt could be here March 3rd and 4th. Um, his wife, Katherine Schwarzenegger, uh, Pratt will be here because she has a children's book to talk about and promote. It's called Good Night Sister. She'll be at Sylvan Elementary Friday the 3rd. That's for just the school. Um, that evening, she will be at Inside the Five uh, for a VIP event and reception during First Friday. The next day, Book Festival and Signing 10 to 2. Meet the author at 12, um, which will all be taking place at Lord. So it's Sylvain. And I hopefully you figured this out. You're bright. Uh, it, it Your wife goes somewhere. You might want to go with her. Your husband goes somewhere. You might want to go with him. So it's not implausible that Chris Pratt is here the beginning of next month. Maybe he's like, I want to see where Katie Holmes grew up. The chances of it happening are probably slim but not zero. Um, another movie thing, real fast. You know, we I, I think you gathered that we love talking about things we watch and movies. I never really stopped going to the movies unless we couldn't go to them during COVID times. Um, the movies are still trying to pull people back. And this seems like an idiotic way of going about that, although I get the, the concept. AMC, which is not our theater chain here, at Fallen Timbers, Levis, and the mall, we have Cinemark. I have my gripes with them. Like, I don't know if they still do the movie club. Cinemark movie club, it was like $10 a month, I think, and you get a free ticket, but they'll roll over and like 20% off concessions. Eh, I don't think so. I would arguably pay 15 for unlimited movies. Like, they would lose money on me, but other people, maybe not. Anyway, AMC wants to do sightline pricing. Sightline pricing. You will pay more for the primetime shows 
um, evenings and weekends for better sight lines than you would um, during the, the the matinees and whatnot. But I'm I'm trying to figure out. Like I'll sit in eighty percent of the theater. The only place I will not sit is the very front. Like I know there are some people who love putting their neck at some absurd angle, having that screen on top of them. It ain't me. Um, there's usually an auditorium, a divider. There's like five, six, seven rows, then a walkway, and then the rest of the auditorium. I can't tell you that if I've sat on the left side of the theater or the right side, the sight line has been poor. It's not like at a stadium for a concert where it's obstructed. This is an idiotic idea unless AMC is planning to rebuild their theaters where there are obstructed sight lines. That's not going to happen. Um, and even if there are... There are, prob- there are still people coming back to theaters, and I can imagine them, and AMC is a massive movie chain. I, I, I think they dwarf um, Cinemark. I think they're all over the country. I think some people might see this story and go, no, I'm not going back to, to the movies and, and, and dealing with that. Even if they don't realize, like I think I just illustrated, there really aren't bad sight lines in movie theaters. I have n- never heard of somebody who needs to sit in one part because they can't... S- nothing, nothing at all. Maybe somebody with vision problems to different degrees. But I... I and granted, I go to a lot of movies by myself. But when I've gone with people, never has anybody said, you have not picked out a good seat. Let's do such and such. And if it was, it's because of who might be coming to sit next to us, how many seats do we want in between. It's never been about the sight lines. This is idiotic for an industry that in so many ways is trying to save its audience, transforming, trying to maintain relevance, telling people that you're going to charge them on sight lines would seemingly keep people away. And and I understand dynamic pricing. Um, in fact, it's always been with us for entertainment venues. I always knew when I was a kid, um, going to sports games, we, we didn't, my dad, friends didn't buy the expensive tickets. So it was a real treat when we got to sit like five rows from the dugout, but I was an idiot. I also know those, those seats cost two or three times more than where we would normally sit. So dynamic pricing is not a new concept. It's been introduced. I think it's some ways in sports to the NFL. Um, like if the Browns were playing the Steelers, you might pay more to see the Steelers than you would to see them play Jacksonville because more people want to go to a Steelers game than see Jacksonville. So I understand and I don't hate the concept of dynamic and tiered pricing, but the application of it here is idiotic. And again, there is already dynamic pricing in place with movie theaters. Uh, it costs more to see a Friday night movie than it does Thursday afternoon. The one thing I did read about in this story was AMC still does their $5 Tuesdays. For as long as I've lived here, I don't know if we've ever had $5 Tuesdays, have we? The other thing, real real fast here, we'll get to, uh, more more theater, more, more performance. Um, the vote on the Waterville Amphitheater Project um, it's gone to the Lukes County Board of Elections who needs to do more research on their own. So they have moved any potential decision to whether it will be on the ballot in November to April. 
Um, it would almost seem like the opponents of this project, which is, I guess, a hundred loud people, as opposed to the seven thousand in the seven thousand people of Waterville. As I was talking to someone today, it's unfortunate. This is our society now. The loud minority, the mob, often gets its way. In, and in this case, the opponents have at least found a way to stretch this out, kick this can down the road, so that the developer maybe at some point, it, it, it's just attrition. Is there another war word I can use? Attrition is right. He just throws his hand, uh, HB Projects, HB Productions, just throws his hands up. Uh, Hunter Brock just throws his hands up and said, I, it, it's not worth it. I can't, on this timeline, it's just not, it's not worth it. I have another project in the pipeline. So far as I've been told, the project is still a go. The developer has not pulled out. What I did find fascinating, the attorney for the people opposing the project is Richard Carr. Like, I know that name, but yeah, we got a lot of names. That are all, there's a lot of Horvats around here. Dussos. Richard Carr. Richard. That's, that's the mayor of Maumee. He is on the opposing side from this. I can think of some reasons why he would definitely oppose this. But as someone who is trying to grow his town and has pissed off so many people with the reconstruction and reimagination of Conan Street, I could think of even more reasons why he would want this project. He gets, in a lot of ways... Uh, he could he could get a lot of the benefits from this thing being here and none of the drawbacks that the people who oppose this are fighting against. I don't want the noise. I don't want to traff. I don't want the traffic. I don't want this in my neighborhood. Fine. Mommy wouldn't have to deal with any of that, but they would certainly have more people coming through their town. Hey, let's stop at Dale's. Hey, I've heard about the Village Idiot. So before or after a concert, you go to the Village Idiot. So... It's just weird, it's odd, it's strange, but there's been a lot of strange political things around here lately. So I'm trying to figure out why the mayor of Maumee is the attorney for people who oppose the Waterville Amphitheater Project. There's plenty of reasons for Maumee to want that to happen. I uh, always want to help my friends in our vibrant uh, performing arts community. So I'm glad Scott from the Rep reached out to me. So let's talk to Joe Capucini, who is the director of Significant Other. We can we can roll here now. Are you uh, are you local? Yes, I am. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, Eric, I was born in Fremont, Ohio. I went to Fremont Ross. Um, then I attended the University of Toledo back in the '80s, and I graduated from the University of Toledo Department of Theater, Film, and Dance. Um, I've been active in university productions as well as community productions on and off for the last 15 or 20 years. I moved to Los Angeles in 2014 to pursue um, artistic endeavors. Um, I was able to get a couple of national commercials booked, some short films. Um, I directed some stage plays. I wrote a short play. I wrote a short screenplay that has won some screenplay contest awards. And I moved back to Los, I moved back from Los Angeles back to Northwest Ohio in October of 2022. 22, last year? 20, no, 21. <clears throat> 21. 
Math is hard for drama majors. <laughs> um, so yeah, I moved back here in October of 21, primarily because of COVID and the industry had kind of shut down and sure. my job allowed me to do so. So that's what I did. So I'm home. Uh, welcome back. Welcome back. Thank uh, you. To, Thank to, you. To jump all, all the way ahead a little bit to after getting your origin story, which I enjoyed, would you, do you have uh, wishes to go back out and, and pursue some of that stuff that you were in the past? No. If somebody that I know out there invites me to go out and be part of a project, I would certainly explore that and take advantage of it. But as far as a life pursuit now, no. I I did it. I learned a lot. It was a great growing experience. It was a great um, learning experience as far as the industry and different methods and different techniques. But Los Angeles just isn't my bag anymore. What What would you caution someone who is uh, less than our age if they want to go out there? The, the, the stereotypical, I'm going to be an actor, but I'll be a barista on, on the side. What's something that some helpful insight that might make the, the like it might give them a leg up on some others. There's a couple of rules to live by when you're going out there for the first time. The number one rule is never give your talent away for free. Okay. If somebody is casting you or they want you to be a part of their production and they say, well, we'll feed you, we'll pay your gas money. Don't give your talent away for free. The second thing we highly recommend, you never pay your manager or your agent ahead of time. Their job is to work for you yeah. and get paid when you book things. So if you hear about a manager saying, hey, if you give us $150, we'll get you in front of casting directors, that is a scam. Do not pursue that. They prey on the young and the naive. Good. The first one is certainly helpful in in any in any line of work, especially these days. Absolutely. Um, are there other places to go uh, besides Los Angeles if you have uh, if you have performance wishes in your life? Well, certainly New York City for um, for stage musical pursuits. Chicago is fantastic as far as their um, theater world is concerned. Um, there are other outliers. Atlanta right now is very, very hot. A lot of production companies that were in Hollywood have relocated to Atlanta because it's more economically feasible and affordable. Um, Nashville is a hotbed. Cleveland, Columbus, Pittsburgh. There's a lot of areas that have pockets of very good opportunities outside of Hollywood. Sure. Um, that person that wishes to be a movie star, a performing arts star, whatever their wish may be, uh, I got to guess it's a pretty low batting average to reach even any level of stardom. It's, yes. <laughs> That's my answer. Yeah. Um, always, always be training, always be sharpening your skills. Always be improving, growing, reading, studying. You're not going to roll out of bed and have a casting director knocking at your door, offering you to play opposites, insert star name here. What's something within the industry? Obviously, we could talk about the negatives forever, and this is fascinating to me. What's a, a, a positive you were surprised to learn about? It was, it was 
That's a great question. The thing that surprised me the most is the drastic difference between stage training and on-camera training. I did not have a lot of in-depth on-camera training when I attended UT. When I got out to Los Angeles and I started auditioning for commercials and I realized that the camera focus is a lot different, my vocal projection has to change bodily, I can't be as big and broad as I was trained to be on stage, we had to get small. And one of the best tips and suggestions I got out there, I decided to take an on-camera acting class. And I got in front of the camera for the first time. I was prepared for my scene, and we started recording the scene. And a very reputable act um, coach said, stop. Joe, I've seen your stage work. I know you can act. But you're in a close-up right now. And if this is going to be on a movie screen, your eyebrows are eight feet long. <laughs> and that just put everything in perspective. Stillness, facial quietness, body quietness on close-ups, learning the language about being on set, those types of educational items came into play a lot. And I learned a lot. Is, is your day job teaching at UT? No. What's your day job? <clears throat> My day job is a talent and development coordinator for an accounting software company that's based in Los Angeles. Got it. So you work remotely, obviously, right? Yes, I do. Probably yes, makes do. Uh, being a director for local theater arts pretty easy or easier. It does. I'm very, very fortunate, and I never lose sight of the fact that I'm so fortunate to work for a company who insists that their employees have a good work-life balance. My leadership and my company and my, my managers and directors encourage me to pursue what I do theatrically because I know how it fulfills me. I'm very fortunate. Excellent. Um, let's talk a little bit about what's going to happen here at the rep next week or so. Um, so I know very little about, uh, I have lots of friends in, in theater and plays in musicals, and I love talking about their stuff. I have a friend who works in the modern dance company. He's got something happening, a cabaret show over the weekend. Um, I am ignorant to so much of it. So I'm glad Scott reached out and then doing a little digging about this. I, I read up on Josh Harmon and, mm -hmm. and, 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 the neon lights went off for me when I saw that he had written something called Bad Jews. Now, yes, he did. It wouldn't exactly be, be <clears throat> the story itself. The plot wouldn't apply to me, but many people could probably easily define me as a bad Jew. So it, <laughs> it, it roped me into what he was going. And then I, um, Scott sent one thing over, but then I read something else about Significant Other. And as, as people younger than us say, I felt attacked. Let me throw this back your way. The play concerns the lives of four friends in their late 20s and their search for um, relationship in 21st New York City. Uh, Josh Harmon goes on to explain the premise. How do you make your life work for yourself when you feel that you're not living the life you're supposed to be living or want to be living, which sends... Me and a lot of other people into therapy <laughs> because <laughs> you feel a lot of angst. You want to help your friends out, but you see them succeeding and then you kind of forget about yourself. Is that kind of the upshot of significant other? It, it, it is. And it's this never ending self-imposed need to measure ourselves against others. 
on their life track and adjusting it to the way that we think it should be rather than the way that we want it to be. Um, and we've gone through our 20s. We remember what it was like to go, for instance, stag to friends' weddings and wedding receptions and just going through a whole cycle of them, one right after another. And then they, you know, they meet somebody, they get engaged with somebody, they wed them, they have babies. And if you're behind that curve, you start to analyze yourself and your position in life, wondering if you're getting it right, wrong, what's wrong with me. And it's, it's very self-evaluatory. Sure. Uh, tell me more about Significant Other, uh, some of the, the performers, what people can expect other than, again, feeling maybe personally attacked or re- being very reflective when they leave. This is the one thing that I want to just gloat about as far as this production is concerned. We have such a committed, professional, talented cast that is, that is going to tell this story so wonderfully well. One of the difficult things about casting a show that requires multiple 20, early 30-somethings is the fact they usually prefer to audition and participate in musical theater, which is fine. It's sometimes more difficult to get them to audition for what we refer to as a straight play. Mm -hmm. I had an embarrassment of riches. When we cast the show... We had nearly 20 young people come out. I say young respectfully. We had 20 young adults audition for the show. I could have cast it twice. I could have had a good cast. I have an exceptional cast. And they have bonded with one another and they have connected. And it's translating on stage. When you were casting, what traits for, in in general, as a director for anything, uh, generally speaking, what traits do you look for? And then for this, for this, who and what traits were you looking for? For this specifically, let me go um, back to front. I was looking for diversity. This play, this takes place in contemporary modern day New York City. We live in a very um, enriched, growing, evolving diversity culture. So I wanted to cast In addition to the lead character being a gay man in his 20s, I wanted to cast diverse as far as ethnicity, as far as race, as far as sexual preference, and we got that. Um, So when we cast, and when I was looking at someone, certainly we want to be able to see if they have some sort of theatrical chops. Can we hear them? Can we understand them? Are they looking at the scene partner they're auditioning with? But I also looked at the intangibles. Are they introducing themselves to each other? Are they asking, where would you like to start? When, you know, just communicating what they're willing to experience together. And it really, really set this cast in the right direction. Um, for those that don't know, and I always learn a little something whenever I talk to my, uh, my theater friends, like 
they donate or volunteer their time. And oftentimes mm-hmm. it's like three hours a night after they've already mm-hmm. had a nine hour work day. What is your day like from your regular job to this? And how about also for the performers as well? Uh, my day job, I usually, you know, tuck myself in front of my laptop right around eight o'clock or so. I work until 445. And then I gather my thoughts and gather my notes and gather my materials that I'm going to need for that rehearsal evening. I get to the rep at six o'clock. The cast is called if they're rec- if they're called to rehearse their scene that night. The cast will be called to start at six thirty, and we go until eight thirty. Last night we went to nine o'clock. Is uh, and oops, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 that's fine. What I what I like to do as because I'm coming at this from an actor perspective who's directing other actors, and I know what I like as a director. I know that I like to have. What are we working on tonight provided to me ahead of time? So I provide the actors with their schedule for the week. What scenes are we working on? What do we need to consider? What's this? What's that? So they come in prepared and ready to go, as opposed to directors that don't know what they're going to work on. They've got everybody there, but they're only going to work on a scene that requires two people. I've just waited five people's time. Yeah. So we provide the actors with expectations. Uh, curtain goes up February 17th at the rep, uh, Toledo rep.org. You can obviously follow a bunch more on, on the website. Um, what is it? Tech week. Did I get that right? Is this coming week tech week? This Sunday at 1 PM, we turn the lights on. We listen to the music. They get into their costumes and we run what we refer to as a Q to Q tech rehearsal. So when a scene ends at a certain point and we're going to transition lights, music, and costumes into the next scene, we'll have the actors begin at the end of the scene, transition in the beginning of the next scene, and then work out the bugs and kinks with lights, music, costumes. Are you, are you a sports fan at all? I am. Okay. Um, as I was hearing you talk about, uh, like letting them know what they'd expect at rehearsal, kind of like a mm-hmm. coach giving the playbook mm-hmm. beforehand. And then I want you to implement this when we practice. Obviously the Super Bowl is, is, is Sunday. Um, coaches are preparing their players and there's a level of preparation that you're either where you want to be or not as the coach, as a director, how do you feel about your team uh, for Sunday and then the following week right now? Uh, my team is prepared for Sunday and we're prepared. We will be prepared for opening weekends and then the following weekend. And there's a great analogy, Eric. Coaches want to have their team peak at the right time, not too early, not too late. So recognizing that they need the rest, recognizing that we talk about self-care, recognizing preparation, hydration, all of those things have gone into this the entire time. As an actor, one of the emptiest feelings we get when we are in that last performance of a run of a show is getting finished with that last performance, knowing that we're just now getting our momentum and peaking if we only had one more weekend. Right. And I mentioned that to the cast. That's what we are gearing toward. We're, that's where our momentum is taking us. We want you to be finished with your last performance knowing that you peaked then. So they've all bought in and we're working them delicately 
and we're challenging them and they're discovering things every night and they're they're getting there we're enjoying the trajectory where did you learn personally to the the peaking strategy um i've had some good directors in my life um i'll I'll call two out right now one is barbara barkin she's legendary in the city of toledo both as an actress and a director and the other one that I, i learned a lot from is actually in the cast. Her name is Caroline Erford, and she directed me multiple times in the past, as well as shared the stage with me in the past. They have two different approaches, but they know not to push their actors too soon, and they lead us to that upward trajectory to where we're satisfied at the last performance. I uh, it, it didn't dawn on me until right now, as I'm looking at the cast names, uh, Joseph Ball, Brianne May Blanton, uh, Asia mm-hmm. or Aja? Aja. Aja Reynolds, um, Hallie Malecki, Carol, Carol mm-hmm. just mentioned, Ty Terry, and I'm usually just seeing him <clears throat> as Tim, but uh, uh, from BCAA, from BCAN, Tim McMahon's going to be there. Yes, yes, he is. I love all the things that Tim does. He's a superstar in my eyes. He is so embracing this process. He has so much experience in what he does with BCAN with being a producer, with being a writer, um, with being on the technical side. He's done a lot of stuff with Glass City Improv or Toledo Improv. Forgive me for not getting that correct. But this is admittedly by him to me, this is his first venture in a scripted, traditional stage play production. And he's shining. He's a superstar. He's really got it. I, I, I look at his stuff for his his food account, I don't know if he has another one. Mm-hmm. The table mm-hmm. for Tim on Instagram, and I'm like, how doesn't he have mm-hmm. like thirty eight thousand followers? His stuff is so good. He is, I, I mean, look, we have some real superstars here. There are some people that outshine our market, like uh, my friend Jordan over at WTOL. Uh, sure, t- sure. T- Tim is one of the people whose talent outshines the market size that we live in, and I'm happy to support all the things that he does. Up, I think you and I probably share a lot of friends because. Um, I worked at Buckeye for a good four years before I moved to LA. And then before that, I was with IOT, and at the time, they were Clear Channel. Um, so we did uh, not working. We didn't overlap because I got there in the beginning of 2013. At Buckeye? Nope, at, at uh, Clear Channel. I was gone on Clear Channel in, in or the early 2000s, but I got it. Um, some of the, you know, Paula Point and Don Jardine and, mm-hmm. you know, Kelly and um, Andy Stewart back in the day. So, um, yeah, it was a good time. I like uh, working there. I have two final questions for you to before we wrap up here. Uh, we talked about the, the overarching theme of what this this is all about. What, what should the audience um, and other people who can make it out and follow it maybe keep a more subtle eye on like the, mm-hmm. the lesser themes. There are absolute relatable themes that anyone of any possible demographic relates to. And that is facing loneliness. Loneliness is the antagonist of the story. I think that's been our bugaboo, many people's bugaboo, one that was shadowing them without even them knowing for the last three years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's very true. 
Um, last question. What do you do when you're not doing all this stuff? When you're not doing work for home for LA and uh, and and not directing, what do you do to get away from those things? I, I I do write. I do read the plays that are being produced locally so I can be familiar with them. Um, a couple of times I've been asked to coach. Um, I haven't done anything since I've been back here, but I do coach a couple of friends in LA. Um, just stay up to date, watch recent movies, watch what's trending on Netflix and Hulu, and make sure that, you know, conversationally, you know, what technology is being used, what techniques are being used, just to stay, you know, sharp. Um, and then just polishing. I'm working on a, another script right now, just, just working through some of the long processes of writing that script. And then looking forward to a next edition of a show that may interest me, either um, as an actor or future directing opportunities. I think we're cut from the same cloth. Even when I'm not working, I am digesting things and then synthesizing them for how I can continue to be good at what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's how we keep sharp. That's how we keep fresh. That's how we can keep relatable. One of the most, this cast, because it's a majority of 20 year olds, they've kept me young. This cast, because it's a majority of 20 year olds, are, are, are letting me see what their processes are like and their character development processes are because it's different than mine in the way that I was trained. So it's adjusting to how information transfer happens. What is their preference in receiving direction versus how I was directed? So that learning curve, again, went back to the diligence you just referred to. Uh, Joe Capucini, thank you so much for the time. This is really insightful. And I'm and, and you maybe you're thinking the same thing. I'm shocked our paths haven't crossed sooner. Well, I'm glad they did now, Eric. I do appreciate your time. Great questions. And again, like you said, significant other opens Friday, February 17th for two weekend engagement at the Toledo Rep, toledorep.org for tickets and information. Awesome. Let's stay in touch. Whatever I can do to help you out, talk about your stuff, put it out there. I'm happy to do that, Joe. Eric, I know you are. And thank you. And thank to Scott both for making this connection. Have a wonderful week. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Take care.